One of the challenges for me, especially in cycle A, is all our readings for the next couple of weeks are very long. And so there's so much to talk about and so much to really be able to break apart and really digest. So I challenge you this week to actually spend some, some more time with our gospel reading today because my homily is not really going to do justice to the amount of goodness that comes from that reading. And the more that we sit and wrestle with it, the more that you can get from it. So I want to challenge you to continue to read it and wrestle with it this week. But last week we, were he we heard from the gospel about the transfiguration. And in the transfiguration, we begin to see this journey, the spiritual journey, and what it means to be on a spiritual journey. We began with Jesus calling three disciples, Peter, James, and John, specifically to come join him on this journey, this journey up to the mountain. And so mountains in, the, in Scripture is a sign and a place in which we come to encounter the divine. And so as they come up to the mountain, Jesus reveals his true divinity to them. And we hear Peter then tell Jesus, can we just set up three tents here for you? One for you, one for Elijah, and one for Moses. And as they're up in the mountain, they come to encounter and transformed and begin a conversion, a life of change, wanting to turn away from their old ways and going down the mountain to a newness of life. And so as they journey downward, Jesus instructs them not to tell anyone until the Son of Man has risen. The instruction in which we are called to put our faith into action. So today in our gospel reading today, we hear that spiritual journey come into action. I remember growing up, one of the interesting things about dating was the fact that it was hard to get to know someone. When you saw someone across the room and you, you saw and felt drawn to them, some people have to have the confidence to just walk over and across the room. I, on the other hand, didn't have the confidence enough to just confidently walk across the room and ask someone or talk to someone. But instead, I would ask my buddies or the person's friends about them to get to know them a little bit more but really, that wasn't, that wasn't the beginning of a relationship. That wasn't the beginning of a connection. That was very much a superficial level and understanding of that person. And it wasn't until I built the confidence to walk over across the room to introduce myself to this lady where I would have that confidence and be able to enter into that relationship. When we talk about our spiritual journey, most of the time we talk about this academic understanding of God. How can I explain the Trinity? How can I memorize the catechism of that Catholic Church? How can I quote X, Y, and Z expert in the areas, whether that's Scott Hahn, Edward Cherie, or any, any of these great scholars of theology? But we lose sight of the fact, what are those things meant to do for us? What does quoting the catechism do for us? What does memorizing scripture, chapter, verse really do for us? What is our ability to throw out ideas, talks, and understandings from other scripture scholars, from other theologians really doing for us? 
If our relationship with God is strictly an academic understanding of God, we have truly failed in that life. We have truly failed in that realm. Because our spiritual journey is meant for us to encounter, for us to come into deeper understanding, awareness, and knowledge to deepen that relationship. I could spend all this time asking my buddies about this lady across the room, but it wasn't until when I walked over there can that relationship begin. It's not until we can confidently walk across the room and allow God to enter into our lives, the knowledge that we built of him from others inform that interaction. It's a relationship. And so when we look at our spiritual journey, let us look at the Samaritan woman today. We hear Jesus meet her at the well. And as we begin our spiritual journey, Jesus doesn't expect us anywhere. He meets us where we're at. He meets us where we're broken. He meets us when we're falling. He meets us when we are at the weakest point of our lives. He meets us when we're at the most joyful points of our life. But he meets us where we're at. The well in the time of Jesus was a gathering place, was the center point of life. So Jesus meets us where we are. And secondly, we begin to see Jesus enter this dialogue and conversation with the Samaritan woman. One, it is interesting because it's mentioned in the gospel. The Samaritan woman asked Jesus, why are you asking me of anything? Why are you even talking to me? I'm a Samaritan woman and you a Jewish man. It comes to illustrate for us that historically during that time, Samaria and the Jewish people really didn't get along well with each other. They were in a feud for four centuries. But what is Jesus really doing? He's illustrating for us in our spiritual journey when he becomes and enters into the part of our life, meets us where we're at, it doesn't matter how far we've turned away from him, how far we've denied him, how far we've given up on our life of faith. He is still there and he's still willing to build the bridge with each and every one of us. But the challenge within our lives is we have a tendency to grasp at things. One of the interesting things these last couple of months I've been hanging out with a lot of young parents who have newly born children. And what is interesting is they have a tendency of grasping to different things. Whether that's the finger you give to them to hold onto, whether that's a toy in front of them, they're just grasping. They're grasping to hold on to something, to hold on to what they can. Within our own lives, we too are grasping at so many different things. We're grasping to the things of this world. We're grasping to what we can hold on to. We're grasping to things that we can control. But what does this grasping really do? Do we really have control of what we've grasped at? Will we grasp at power, prestige, and pleasure, and honor, recognition? Does that really allow us to get anything or gain anything? Really, at the end of the day, when we grasp at something, we've gained nothing for ourselves. But today, instead, we hear Jesus ask the Samaritan woman, 
to give me some water. In asking, he demonstrates for each one of us in our spiritual journey that we allow our weaknesses to become apparent. When you're asking for a, a drink, you're revealing to someone the vulnerabilities, the lacking of one's life. I'm needing something to quench my thirst. Do you have something to provide for me so that I can quench my thirst? It's not about what I can grab, what I can hold on to anymore, but I let someone know, I let someone into my life and reveal to them the weaknesses, the frailty, the brokenness of my own life, the imperfection of my own life. And I need someone's help to fulfill, to be satisfied, to be nourished, to be fed. So we allow Jesus to enter into our lives he meets us where we're at, but he's not going to force himself in and on us until we can open our hearts, until we can open our lives to him. He's not going to kick down the door and force us to love him. But instead, he's asking us to open our hearts. He's wanting us to ask him to enter into that life, into our, our daily struggles, so that he can journey and be a part of us. But in all of that, he's not there to judge us, to condemn us, to tell you how bad of a person each and every one of us are. But instead, he enters into this dialogue, this engagement of trying to figure out where we're at, what we're doing, what we're struggling with, the challenge, the difficulties, the ups and downs of life. He wants us to share that with him, to let him know, but most importantly, allow him to talk to us. Because in conversation, we become, we begin to recognize and realize our own frailty, our own brokenness. We begin to understand our deepest desires, our deepest wants. We begin to see the goods, the bads of our lives, we begin to see where God has been every moment of our lives. So the question becomes, where do we go from there? We see the Samaritan woman seek to enter deeply into that relationship. In seeking that, she allows Jesus to enter. We hear Jesus tell the Samaritan woman, you're, you're, you don't have husbands because you have five and the one you're with now is not your husband. He reveals to her the deepest the recesses of her heart, her deepest desire, her deeper longing that she herself have been hiding from the world, have been afraid of seeking judgment from those around her. Because in that statement Jesus made, we come to fully understand and grasp the reason why she was out at the well at noon. Like I said earlier, the well was a community meeting place. It was an opportunity for all the women of the neighborhood to go together to fetch water and bring it home to their families. So then why is she there alone? And two, why is she there at noon? She is there alone is because she's afraid of the judgment of the people. She is there at noon to illustrate for us that in her struggles, it's not just something easy. It is the hottest time of day. 
It is when the sun is at its brightest. No matter how far we struggle, no matter how badly we've sinned, no matter how badly we've turned away from God, the ray of light, the ray of salvation is still on us, is still fully engaged in our lives and wants to be dispelled in our lives. So what do we see now from her? Once her deepest, darkest recesses of her life has been revealed to her, what does she come to experience? She comes to experience what it truly means to be on a spiritual journey. She truly comes to understand what her heart really is yearning for, which is that deep relationship with God. And as she does and gains that experience, she leaves her jug, her water jug behind. She leaves everything she has and goes back into town to proclaim, to share the excitement she has had, the excitement of that experience, the change that it has done to her life. She goes to share that with the whole world. She shares that with her community. And what is interesting is we hear at the end of our gospel, it brings others to believe. It brings others to engage in that relationship. It begins to bring others to follow Jesus. We hear more people begin to gain faith because of that. So what are we supposed to do, my dear brothers and sisters? We're called today not to enter into an academic understanding of God. God is not just a theoretical, scientific thing that we can look under a microscope, that we study, we plan, and that's it. The desire of God is to seek us and to be in relationship with us. He seeks us and wants us every moment and every day of our lives, and he wants us to return to him where we're meant to be from the beginning. That is our purpose. So we have to begin the spiritual journey. And I think it's so fitting for us in the context of Lent to begin to start that. If we have this academic understanding of God, let us begin this relationship. If we have a relationship with God, let us take inventory of what that relationship looks like. Because in Lent, we're asked to pray, to fast, and to do almsgiving. Let us put it into practice then. In prayer, our opportunity to get to know God, to build that confidence, to walk across the room and introduce ourselves to Him. Not just hear what other people say about Him anymore, but go across the room and introduce ourselves to Him. Most, most days, our church is unlocked for you to come to encounter Him. On Wednesday, we have adoration all day till midnight. An opportunity to adore, to be with God face to face, literally nose to nose, speaking to Him in intimate conversation. In fasting, we're not just giving up of food, of things to better our diet, to better our health, but to care for others, to give ourselves to others. We have plenty of opportunities throughout this Lent for us to go serve others, to give of our material goods to others. We have our outreach donations, we have our baby closet, we have many other things we can do in serving our brothers and sisters.
in serving each other. Finally, in almsgiving, in giving of our, our financial gift to others, in which we give the gifts in return back to God, whether that's in service of our brothers and sisters, in ministry, whether that's giving back to the church and helping clean, helping support the church, or even our opportunities to serve our brothers and sisters, whether that's the unborn or whether that's the retired in the retirement facilities, it all stems from our relationship with God. So my dear brothers and sisters, let us take inventory of our life. Where is our relationship with God at? What is hindering us from entering that relationship? And if we have this relationship, where is it leading us to today? Amen.